0: hi again everybody i'm dan horde and thanks for downloading the bengals booth podcast the i'm gonna make it right tonight 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 oh ho! Addition as the bengals look to improve to three and one tonight as they host urban meyers winless jacksonville jaguars on thursday night football Coming up, I'll go one-on-one with wide receiver Jamar Chase, who is off to an incredible start as an NFL rookie. Dave Lapham joins me to discuss the latest Bengals news and share some keys to beating the Jags. I'll catch up with NFL Network host Colleen Wolf, who is in town tonight to host the NFL Game Day kickoff show. And finally, it's our Know the Foe segment as we discuss the 0-3 Jags with Jacksonville sports columnist Gene Frenette. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing. On iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since the Ring of Honor tribute video. At halftime of tonight's game, the Bengals will induct their inaugural Ring of Honor class made up of Paul Brown, Anthony Munoz, Ken Anderson, and Ken Riley. If you haven't watched it already, you have to check out the 17-minute and 30-second video called Best in Class that can be found on Bengals.com and YouTube. It was written and narrated by Bengals.com editor Jeff Hobson, and it's a tremendous history lesson on this year's Ring of Honor class. Don't take my word for it. Watch it as soon as you finish this podcast. Now, let's get to my guest, beginning with Jamar Chase, who last week became the ninth player in history to catch a touchdown pass in each of his first three NFL games. Jamar, here's my first hard-hitting question. How the heck did you hold on to that long touchdown pass last week? Because it looked like you caught the back third
1: of the football. Mm -hmm. I'm just all about hand-eye coordination and concentrating on the ball when it's in the air. Following it all the way through the catch. So Ended up holding on to it. Thank God I hit (laughs) it.
0: That touchdown pass came with 37 seconds left in the half. And here's how Joe Burrow described it after the game. Quote, Jamar came up to me before that play and said, just throw it up to me, just throw it. Did that really happen? And if so, why did
1: you tell him that? Uh, yeah, that did happen. I told him uh, if I had 42 on me, just throw it up. Um, I only told him that because I seen the first time a previous play we ran the same play. And um, and I told him what I seen from the exact same last play. So I was like, bro, do it again. Like, Just throw it this time, and I know for sure it's going to work. So we capitalized on it. Great call,
0: great catch. We're visiting with Jamar Chase. So that touchdown pass stung the fans in Pittsburgh because the Steelers had tied the game, mm-hmm. and then 27 seconds later, you score the touchdown. Can you describe what it's like to shut up a road crowd?
1: Well, it was quiet in there. I felt like mm-hmm. a home game almost uh, when we had the ball. They started making a little noise on the offense, on defense side when the defense got out there. So um, that just means we some of our fans got out, got Pittsburgh fans going along with us. So. It was good. Let's get to your second touchdown catch. We heard after
0: the game that you were Joe Burrow's fifth read. How mm-hmm. unusual is it to see the ball
1: when you're the fifth read on a play? Right. Um, usually we have something for it, of course. That's why I'm the fifth read. I'm uh, just work, trying to work my way across the field and make sure I stay in the play and make sure if the play is, keeps going that I'm in Joe's view. Um, I actually didn't see Joe at all. I just seen the ball come out of his hands and that's all I seen was the ball flying in the air and had to be at me. That was a tribute to the offensive line,
0: yeah. right? For, for them to give that kind of protection? Shout out.
1: I said I definitely gave them a shout out during my interview at the last game. So those boys held it down. We're chatting with Jamar Chase.
0: You beat a three time Pro Bowler on that play, Joe Hayden. Is it a big deal for you to compete against guys you grew up watching on TV?
1: Oh uh, yeah, definitely. Just because of, you know, just experience I'm in right now. Um, you know, I can't wait to grow old and tell my kids, you know, grandkids and people stuff like that. But um it's just a blessing, you know what I'm saying, just to watch those guys um be hall of fame famers, talk about and, and you know, have the opportunity to go against them and, and work my craft. So uh it's just something you gotta be take pride in and, and love battling. Growing old is not all it's cracked up to be, trust me. <laughs> Let's go back to
0: the preseason when you were uncharacteristically dropping some passes every receiver drops balls but have you ever had a stretch like that
1: uh no no not really um I've always caught my passes when they were here to me um majority time if I'm wide open I did one in a championship uh I let the ball come track to me too close and messed up my fingers on that play but no not not too often when people ask me about you during the
0: preseason, I said, I'm not worried for two reasons. Number one, there's no history of it. Number two, I've never seen a guy catch more passes after practice mm-hmm. than you do, whether it's off the jugs machine or from quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Did you do that even more than usual this training camp, or is that the norm for you?
1: Um, that's actually pretty normal. Uh, when I was at LSU, I was always doing it after practice too, sometimes before practice just to get my hands going. Um, I know on Mondays in college, I used to do no glove Monday just to get my hands prepared for the rest of the day. Hmm. So it's Thursday night football this week, your
0: first NFL primetime game. Mm-hmm. What's this mean to you?
1: It just means another game on the list. You know, uh, just a different day, or earlier day. Um, just got to get in my, my film, get on the plays, make sure I execute the right way, and, and just concentrate and have tunnel vision into this game. In high school and college, you don't play two games in five days. Right.
0: How challenging is that?
1: Uh, that's pretty exciting, to be honest. Um, just to have this transition change that fast. Um, I woke up today like, what is today, really, when I walked in a building because I realized it was so fast. But um, I, you got to like it, you know what I'm saying? I'm pretty excited about this game just because it's a Thursday game and, you know, it's, it's just happening so fast for me. So I'm, I'm excited for it. You look like you're having a blast. <laughs> Are you? Yeah, I, I am having fun. Joe even told me this is fun. So. As long as Joe's having fun, I'm having fun. The offense is having fun. Defense is flying around having fun. We're going to be a great football team. We're having fun watching. Congratulations on a great start. I appreciate your time. Thank you.
0: If Jamar catches a touchdown pass tonight, he'll join Martavis Bryant, Dante Stallworth, and Charlie Brown as the only players in history with touchdown catches in each of their first four NFL games. Not that Charlie Brown. This one was a two-time Pro Bowler for Washington. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Now time to discuss some of the key storylines heading into tonight's game with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap, your first NFL coach and three of your former teammates make up the first Ring of Honor class that will be inducted at halftime on Thursday. Do I need to have some Kleenex available in the broadcast booth?
2: It is going to be a, a very special night for sure. You know, I think uh, it's it's long overdue, a celebration of their greatness, and the first class is just a uh, no-brainer, unbelievable accomplishments. And, and the common denominator is, as we've said many times, for as great coach, player, et cetera, that they were, top-notch, you know, <laughs> quality human being that uh, – has done not not things for their profession, but things for humanity, you know, things for society, things for the world. Um, And Paul Brown was always one that was very interested in what are you going to do when you're done with football? He'd tell us all the time, men, football, this is just a short phase of your life. When you're done playing football, you're going to be young people. You'll still be in your early 30s for the most part, maybe even younger than that. What are you going to do with yourself? What what are you going to do? How are you going to be successful? And he always monitored and tracked guys and he'd be extremely proud of uh, these three guys going into the ring of honor this man they, they accomplished even more probably <laughs> or at least as much when they were done playing as they did when they played
0: and it's not just about paul brown and those three players this week nearly 40 members of the 1981 super bowl team will also be celebrated uh, the 40th anniversary of that season is obviously this year i know coming up short in the super bowl still stings but 12 teams have never won one. Four teams have never been to one. Forty years later, is there a different bond between a team that made it to a Super Bowl than, and the other ones that you played on?
2: Yeah, I think, I think that even though getting over the bitterness of losing the biggest game of your life and not playing well, that's the thing that bothers you. I mean, if you had, if you had played lights out and you lost because, you know, they were just so – that team was on that day and they were great – you know, I think it I think it might be easy, easier to accept, but we outgained them. You know, we thought we were the better football team. The, the self-destruction part of it just, man, just stays with you. It's like if we just had taken care of business on our end of things and not put ourselves on our schedule, probably be walking around with Super Bowl rings rather than just AFC championship rings. But I do think that that, that AFC championship, the first one in franchise history, that, that this team, to me, the eighty one Super Bowl sixteen is just like a part of it and it's a not a successful part of it memory wise. But this team was the first team to win a playoff game, the first team to win an AFC championship. And that's the thing that I think I am very proud of and I know a lot of other guys that I'm friends with on the team are extremely proud of, and that the 81 Super Bowl to have the freezeable connotation you know it's a unique special game it's a very historic NFL game because of the weather conditions and everything to be part of that is you know something I'm telling my grandkids about for example today so I can't believe it's 40 years but uh, father time's undefeated man there's no <laughs> doubt <laughs> Except for Tom Brady. Tom Brady 1-0
0: versus True. Father Time so far. All right, let's get to this year's team, 2-1 and one after last week's big win in Pittsburgh. I want to talk about the defense. Sixth in points allowed, fifth in yards per run allowed, fourth in yards per pass attempt allowed, which speaks to how good they've been in every phase. When did you start to think that this group
2: was going to be pretty darn good? Yeah, I mean, when we were watching training camp, Dan, we're like... Ugh is Is the defense that good, or is the offense that bad you know and, and you're going against, they're going against each other every day, and so it's hard to it's hard to draw any conclusions until they start playing other other opponents, but come to find out the defensive line and is is very good i mean, and I think it's going to be a, a very interesting uh challenge for them in this football game on Thursday night because I think the jacksville Jaguars' interior their center's good man that's a salty dude he's a hell of a player. And the guards are adequate; they're they're very solid NFL players. I think the Bengals' advantage is at tackle and tight end, you know, on the edge. So the big defensive tackles, which that's that's the thing that impressed us, is watching. Them. Man, they're so big. I mean, they're they're nobody. Bengals aren't moving them. Are other people are going to be able to move them? Nobody's really been able to move them all that much, as you mentioned the, the numbers in the in the running game. No running back has uh, gotten over 61 yards against them, and they're going to be challenged this week. You know, Robinson is a is a hell of a back, and you know, the, uh, Hyde's a great one as well, and, and and they're really good between the tackles, running their their duos inside zone and you know draw plays and things of that nature. So it, it's going to be interesting. But I think I think what they did in free agency with the defensive line and making the commitment to the young linebackers is really starting to pay mm-hmm. off. I mean, that young linebacker core, of course, led by Logan Wilson, um, he's sixth in the NFL in tackles with thirty. And, you know, he's got three interceptions, leaves all linebackers, tied for the lead in the National Football League overall playmaker. And I, th- I think that combination of, you know, getting the, the, these upper crust defensive linemen in, in free agency and supplementing it in the draft for, for depth uh, and, then, and then getting those young linebackers in the draft and committing to them and, um, you know, Coach Al Golden has done a hell of a job with that line, linebacker group. He's really brought them along big time. So yeah, I mean, I, I think the defensive front seven is playing really well, and with the injuries that they've got on the back end for this football game, that front seven is going to be big, and uh, and then offensively, it's their responsibility. I I, I remember you know we talk about it, guys. Look, our defense is beaten up. You know, we, we got to stay on the field. We got to control the clock, the line of scrimmage, the game. You know, they they played 87 snaps, we played 42. Come on, let's we we got we got to step up. It's time for the offense to get something done. And the best offense is a uh, best defense is a real good offense that's keeping the defense off the field. So
0: let's talk about the offense. Currently, middle of the pack in uh, points scored per game, partly because they played it safe with a big lead in the second half last week. What's the next step that you would like to see out of this offense?
2: I I'd still like to see you know even more consistency, and uh, I, I think on both sides of the football. Third down aggressiveness, you know. I think I think that there can be they're leaving some things on the table on third down. Uh, defensively, the, the posture has been more of soft zones. Let them make a catch, rally up on the football. You know, and you see guys catch the football on a third and seven, five or six yards down the field, and you have to make a perfect tackle. You know, to to stay up You know, to get off the football field. So it, it's going to be interesting to see with injuries in the in the secondary. It's going to be interesting to see what LuAnn Arumus' mindset's going to be. Do I even play it more soft because of these guys, or am I more aggressive and make the quarterback make quicker decisions to help, you know, some guys that haven't had as many snaps in the back end as guys that have been back there? So it's going to be interesting to see which way the pendulum swings a little bit. But again, a big help could be offensively, sustained drives, stay on the field, you know, make stay in third and four or less, and be aggressive. When it's third and four or less, and and uh, rack up the plays, keep the defense off the field.
0: Now that you've seen some tape, how did Jackson Carmen do in his first NFL start?
2: Jackson Carmen belonged, I think, is the best way to put it. And I remember that's exactly what I was thinking going into my first NFL game. I just want my teammates and coaches to think eh, this guy he should be there. He belongs, you know, and not be a, not be a. a <laughs> A, uh, a fish in the offensive line where you're getting taken advantage of and people are picking on you and everybody can't wait to line up against you and pass rush against you kind of thing. And now, was it perfect? No, I mean, Jackson had a communication issue that led to a sack in the early stages of the game, and, and there were some other things that weren't you know necessarily exactly the way you want them. But overall, he definitely showed like he belonged. And you know, I remember uh, after my first NFL Start Paul Brown came up to me in my locker and just shocked the heck out of me when I I looked up and it was Paul Brown. And he goes, young man, I'm proud of you. The game wasn't too big for you. That's good. We thought that might might be the case, and you proved us right. So I was like, wow. That was like a million bucks. Hmm. So I think he should feel like the game wasn't too big for him. He belongs. He's right where he should be, playing in the National Football League. He has all the physical abilities to do it but just button up all of his assignments, button everything up mentally. You know, no, no lapses mentally that lead to physical problems.
0: So here we go. Thursday night football in week four of the season against the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're 0-3 this year. They've lost 18 in a mm. row since winning their season opener last year over the Colts. You mentioned the offensive line is good. They've got a good running game. Where are they weak? What are the weak spots for Jacksonville?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think they don't really have a, a tight end threat, you know, That and, and they, they're trying to solve it. They traded for Arnold, you know, this week. Now, with two days, how much of a package can they put together? Will he even be active for the game? You know, it makes you wonder uh, a bunch of things there. But, um, you know, I, I think, obviously, the turnover issue is what's killing them. they had got a rookie quarterback that's got nine giveaways – seven interceptions and lost two fumbles, and they're minus eight in the turnover department, dead last in the National Football League after three games. So it's 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 kind of like the Trevor Lawrence bakery is open and you get three for one every week, the turnovers. He's selling turnovers three for one. But, you know, you, you think – I think at some point they're going to simplify. You know, I talked about this before. I remember doing college football with Michael Bishop when he was at Kansas State, and Bill Snyder said, you know, Dave, I've got a guy that is – going to be a good quarterback but right now he's an athlete more than a quarterback so i give him one read and i say michael if that's not there tuck it and run that's your next best option and then toward the end of the season middle of the season i should say i had him again and i said is it still one read and go for michael he goes it's two david you know you go one read second read tuck it and go i don't think he had him go to the back side of the field the entire season i wonder if they're going to do something like that you know with trevor lawrence and I'm not saying that to make it elementary, but I'm saying to take some of the some of the load off of them and uh, and, and and see what they do. But uh, yeah, I, I I don't think they're really a real good outside running team. The strength of their running game is is between the tackles. They do a good job with inside zone, not really outside zone or stretch. Inside zone duos. They will run counter. They will run a draw. You know. So I th- I think. Their center and, and, and guards are, are are solid solid players, you know. Defensively, I th- linebacker I think is the is the strength of their football team. I think the defensive line, it, the offensive line, just has to I think impose their will in this football game. With well, that defensive line, I think it's good, but I don't think it's like upper crust, you know, in the National Football League. Um, so I, I I think the Bengals need to establish their ground game and be more consistent, you know, establishing that ground game. The Bengals right now are one of only five teams. Let me make sure that I, that I get this right. I did some, did some homework on this, Dan, and I want to make sure I get it right. <laughs> the Bengals run the ball five more times than they've thrown it. They're one of four teams that have done that. Denver is even. They've run the ball exactly the same as they've thrown it, and they're 3-0. and So I put them in that pack. So there's four teams more, and then Denver's even. Baltimore' is plus 10. They're two and one. New Orleans is plus 30. They're two and one. Cleveland's plus 22. They're two and one. The Bengals are plus five. They're two and one. Three AFC North teams are of the five that have at least even Steven or run the ball more. So I, I think stay in that identity. Don't make Joe Burrow throw it 35, 40 times in a game. pound the, pound the football. You know, establish yourself in that regard. Be physical. I thought their physicality in the offensive and defensive line uh, in their two wins was superior, and in their loss it wasn't. So how are they going to come out in this football game Thursday night? I think it's going to be how do the big boys up front, are they going to be more physical? Last thing, how big of an advantage is a Thursday night home game? Big. (laughs) Big. short week and you have to travel is is very tough um thursday night game is it's it's tough that the turnaround is very tough particularly if you're 30 or more i remember you know what in my 20s it wouldn't even bother me to have to play a thursday night game i i felt like i could play tuesday after a sunday game when i was you know in early stages you get up in the thirties though, it's like oh, oil can. <laughs> I need all the way to that Saturday to start to feel real good physically, you know, and then um, start with these Thursday night things. So, and then you have to travel to boot. If you're feeling kind of funky, you're gonna get on a plane and fly and get stiff, you know, and off the plane. And I just think that it's, uh, you know, it's 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 a much bigger advantage to sleep in your own bed and not have to travel and all that good stuff for that uh, that Thursday night game. But I do think that there are injuries that, that the Bengals and, and, and probably the Jaguars are experiencing that if we're a Sunday game wouldn't be as big an issue for a Thursday night game. So that's that's the thing. I mean, obviously the league is getting a ton more money and the players are benefiting by that. But I know the Players Association has their problems with Thursday night football for those reasons. You know, the player safety is their big thing. And guys playing Sunday, Thursday isn't a big player safety uh Plus, it's a player safety minus. There's no doubt about it. Um, but, you know, it's it's the next game on the schedule. And then you get the, the benefit of the mini bye week the week after, a longer week to, to rest and recover. But it is, it is definitely a challenge. But like you say, Dan, I mean, traveling makes it exponentially more of a challenge in my mind than having to play at home. I'll have
0: those Kleenex ready in the booth for halftime on Thursday. I may need two boxes. <laughs> Tonight's game will air nationally on the NFL Network with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman on the call. Kickoff is at 820, and two hours and 20 minutes before that, Michael Irvin, Joe Thomas, and Steve Smith Sr. will be on the scene for the NFL Game Day kickoff show, and I spoke to the host of that show this week. NFL game day kickoff coverage on NFL Network starts at 6 o'clock on Thursday night, and we are joined by the outstanding host of that show, Colleen Wolf. Colleen, what are you looking forward to on Thursday?
3: I'm obviously really excited to see these young quarterbacks. Joe Burrow, I love what he's been able to do with Jamar Chase. Their connection just really seems to have carried over from college, and we're seeing that now. The re- returns are very, very Um, promising early on here and you know it was all during draft season whether or not the Bengals should get an offensive lineman and oh my god they got a wide receiver and is that the right move and maybe that still isn't the case but it seems like everything is really working out in terms of the passing game for Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and I just I really love these three wide receivers that the Bengals have there. I I just think that they have so much talent, even though T Higgins, he didn't play last week, but Tyler Boyd, I love his sass. I love that he came out and he was like, yeah, the Steelers, they just quit last week. Like you could just see on that final drive. (laughs) And that to me is so interesting because it just feels like the entire division. There's a little bit of a change happening.
0: NFL Network host Colleen Wolf is our guest, so the Bengals are 2-1 and one after that win in Pittsburgh, their first win there in six years. Aside from Burrow to Chase and the wide receivers, what else about the team has impressed you?
3: Well, I think it's defense, for sure. Their defense has really improved. Um, I think that they're playing really well. They're allowing only 18 points per game, 4.5 yards per play this season, and just The fact that they were able to sack Ben Roethlisberger four times, 17 quarter pressures. We haven't uh, quarterback pressures. We haven't seen a game like that in years. And I love what linebacker Logan Wilson is doing. I think that he's done a really great job. He was a star against the Steelers, picked off Ben twice, uh, led the team in tackles with 14. So he's really been fantastic. Larry Ogunjobi, who they brought in in the offseason, the Bengals, he's really made a difference inside too. two of those run stuffs, three total tackles. But I think really that this defense has playmakers at all three levels. When you take a look at, Ogunjobi with Trey Hendrickson, Trey Hendrickson up front, DJ reader. He really doesn't get enough love. He's really good. And I just feel like he really flies under the radar. Um, and then like Wilson, I just mentioned, he leads the league right now in interceptions with three and once Trey Wayans can get back. And I know that that's a little bit of a sore subject for a lot of Bengals fans. Uh, it seems like they've been waiting forever. What he's missed like 19 games. Uh, but Three games this season because of that hammy. I don't know if uh, because of the short week, if that will play uh, any type of role in his return, but once they get him back, then they really will have solid players at all three levels.
0: So it's only three games in, but the Bengals Ravens and Browns are tied for first place in the AFC North. The Steelers are one and two. What's your take on the division and how soon can the Bengals compete?
3: I think that this is a division that really could change, especially once you bring in Joe Burrow and you have all of these things working together. Joe Mixon, he's been able to run the ball really well, and I think he should be able to get going against this Jaguars defense too, uh, because we saw the Texans take advantage of them week one. I think that there are still some growing pains that they need to work out here, and uh, I've been I've been impressed with what I've seen so far, but I think Joe Burrow, he's he's definitely... He's had some some growing pains here and there, but he's played well this season. It's it's tough to to shake the the Bears game with the three picks and the three passes. That was just a rough stretch uh, for Joe Burrow, but I think he should have time in the pocket this week. And I think that this early success, as long as they can maybe start to build on this, If I mean, think about it, back-to-back wins, if they can get the win over the Jags this week, that's something for sure to, to hang your hat on. And the Browns, they are so good at this point. It's a really tough division with a lot of competition, but I think that you can't count the Bengals out completely.
0: We're talking to Colleen Wolf. You can follow her on Twitter at Colleen Wolf with an E on the end. Let's focus in on the matchup on Thursday night. The Jags come in 0-3. They've lost 18 in a row, but they've got Urban Meyer in Ohio. We know what he's capable of as a coach. They've got Trevor Lawrence, the number one pick in the draft. What are some keys, in your opinion, on Thursday night?
3: I think the Jags will have a tough time running the ball for sure, because of this Bengals defense, as I kind of just outlined, and that's really been the bright spot for this Jaguars defense or offense. The fact that James Robinson and Carlos Hyde have, um, have been really effective 5.1 yards per carry um, six best in the league, but Cincinnati's run defense has really improved this year. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing Trevor Lawrence because I think he's in a really unique situation right now, considering he had so much success early on in his career, basically at every stop until he got to Jacksonville. So he's kind of just now becoming acquainted with losing for the first time in his career. And he's had a tough schedule in terms of defenses that he's had to face. Even week one, Lovie Smith and the Texans were able to scheme up pressure for him. And then the Broncos, uh, one of the best in the league, but we saw what the Jaguars were able to do last week with the Cardinals and they were up on them pretty well at one point in that game. So there's been a lot of growing pains for Trevor Lawrence. Um, I think that the mistakes have been glaring because the expectations have been so high with him, the the fleet, the pick six on the flea flicker last week um, late in the game has two fumbles that really shut the door on the entire comeback effort. But Now he's thrown seven interceptions and he's only completing 54% of his passes. And this week, it really does not get a lot better against this Bengals defense that has done a really great job of creating pressure. And I think when you have a rookie quarterback on the other side that has made some mistakes, you can force him into doing some more probably this week.
0: We are looking forward to it. You and the NFL Game Day kickoff crew will be here at Paul Brown Stadium on Thursday night. Travel safe and thanks so much for the time.
3: All right. Thank you so much. It's on to Cincinnati.
0: Last but not least, time to take a closer look at a team that's just two losses away from potentially becoming just the third team in NFL history to lose 20 in a row. Gene Frenette is a longtime Jacksonville sports columnist, and he joined Lapp and me this week on the Bengals Game Plan Show. Our first topic, number one overall draft pick Trevor Lawrence. Who has seven interceptions and two lost fumbles in his first three NFL games?
4: Obviously, the last game, uh, he played. Mu- he played much better in this last game against the Arizona Cardinals than he did against Houston or Denver. Uh, but the flea flicker interception, pick six, uh, that skewed a lot of things. Uh, but uh, he was much more accurate, a little bit much more on point. I would say that, except for the flea flicker, was which was uh, the the pass which you got some pressure up the middle from J.J. Watt. He uh, should have just thrown it into, into the stands, right? Yeah, that was, uh, it was a horrible decision, and, and Trevor would be the first one to tell you that. But if you look at the rest of the game, I mean, the, the Jaguars were, were, were beating the Cardinals 19-10. to You know, keep in mind, the Cardinals were a touch, more than a touchdown favorite in this game, and a lot of people had picked uh, the Cardinals to cover in this game, and all of a sudden they're down by nine in the third quarter. And what happened was the defense gave up a quick 75-yard touchdown drive. That got them within two. And then on the very next series was when the pick six happened. So it totally flipped the momentum of the game. But up until that point, uh, the Jaguars had played a pretty solid game, particularly on defense. But, uh, you know, but as we know, you know, the NFL is a league where there's a lot of close games and they're decided by two or three plays here or there. And the Jaguars have not been able to make those plays in those game-deciding moments.
2: Interesting in that Robinson and Hyde have combined uh, for 50 rushes for 255 yards, over five yards of carry. They've been pretty efficient and effective. Uh, And Trevor Lawrence, they've, they've thrown the football 52 more times than they've run it. Is it just that they fell behind? So early in football games, I mean, they seem to have a pretty good running attack and an offensive line in the interior that can handle the inside zone and duos and things of that nature. Is it just because the circumstances of the game where you have a rookie quarterback thrown at 50 more times than they've uh, than they've run it in the first three?
4: Some of it is that. Uh, there was a drive at the end of the first half in week two, in which they threw it 11 consecutive times because, you know, they were in a two-minute so that that's a little bit understandable, but overall, I would say yes, there has been too much of a reliance uh, on the passing game. Some of it is dictated by the score, some of it is dictated by penalties early on in downs that you know put them way behind the chains. But overall, I would say yes, they, they are not uh, they needed to run the ball more, and they did that finally in last week's game, and that's what got them the lead. They had a eight play. 75 dri- yard drive, in which in in which they never threw the ball. They went 75 yards on eight consecutive runs, and so you know that was uh, that was kind of like the highlight of the game last week for them. And then of course that was all followed by, the, by what I had mentioned earlier: the the Cardinals turning around, driving 75 yards themselves, then the pick six. And uh, but yeah, they. Uh, It's it's rarely a a recipe for a winning formula when your quarterback is averaging, you know, 42 throws. Rookie quarterback is averaging like 40, 40, 42 throws a game.
2: Right.
0: Which was the case more or less for Joe Burrow last year. We're visiting with Jacksonville sports columnist Gene Fournette. Jags are 0-3. They've dropped 18 straight going back to last year's season opener when they beat the Colts. But it's the NFL. Every team's got players who are great college players. Where is Jacksonville strong, and how do they potentially pose a threat to knock off the Bengals on Thursday night football tomorrow?
4: Well, I mean, uh, for one thing, I mean, the, uh, you know, I mean, the Bengals got all kinds of injuries in their secondary, so I will be surprised if the Jaguars don't try to exploit some of that uh, with, uh, with Trevor and, and the receivers. I mean, Cincinnati's a nice team. They're, they're better than they have been. Uh, But, you know, they're not exactly a juggernaut. I mean, uh, you know, they they beat what I felt was a very average to below-average Steelers team. And while that's a great win for Cincinnati because of the history uh, of the Steelers, it's way too early in the season right now to just kind of really get a feel for how really good or how really bad a team is. Yeah, we can make those conclusions about the Jets. We can make some of those conclusions about the L.A. Rams. But for the most part, I would say – 75% of this league right now, you don't have, uh, uh, you know, a 100% certainty about what kind of team they're going to be, whether they're going to be a playoff team, whether they're going to be a last-place also-ran. I mean, it's just we're only three weeks into a 17-game season. And to be quite honest with you, I like the Bengals tomorrow night for one reason only, one reason only. And that is, it's a short week, and they're playing at home, and the Jaguars are not. And as we know, Thursday night games for road teams have not been very kind uh, over the years, and the Jaguars are no exception to that. They're, uh, they're in their history, they're two and eight in primetime games. That includes Sunday night, Monday night, and Thursday night. And uh, but uh, given what the what the Bengals secondary looks like right now, or could look like uh, tomorrow night. Uh, I, I, I give the Jaguars much more than a puncher's chance of winning this game over 50 percent probably not but I would say I, I would certainly give them a 40 percent chance of winning this game
2: do you anticipate the uh, the coaches simplifying things for Trevor Lawrence do you, do you anticipate uh, you know it, it, it's it's a deal where Daryl bevel says okay don't, we're not gonna we're not going burden you with a bunch of reads you can run the football you can do the zone read you can do a lot of things even when you're throwing the football maybe a couple of options and then your third best option is to try to uh run the football a little bit Now you know i don't want to get guys hurt obviously particularly at that position but do you think there'll be a simplification in the offense and they'll use more of a quarterback design run package and and then also if he breaks you know if he if he can um make the pass rush break down scramble and, and pick up yards The get the guy's a very talented runner as well isn't
4: he yeah uh they had about i think they had four designed design zone read runs last week okay and there was other instances where he ran because it was a scramble situation but uh, uh if i'm the jaguars i'm not you know i'm having zone reads as a very small part of trevor lawrence's package because the last thing you want to do is getting him hurt that that's you know you get him hurt, and you can, you can. The Jaguars can just kiss whatever hope they have to be respectable this season goodbye. Uh, you you will feel the energy drain out of that franchise if Trevor Lawrence got hurt. He needs the reps. He needs the experience, and, and that's what this season should be about for the Jaguars. Get Trevor Lawrence to the point where he's going to be as good as a lot of people project him to be. I think he's going to be. I, I think he's going to be a very good to great quarterback in this league for a long time. Right. But to get there, he's going to have to probably go through some growing things. You know, we might be looking up at his stat sheet a month from now and seeing, you know, 57, 58% completion percentage, uh, passer ratings in, you know, 75, 83, uh, maybe, uh, maybe a 98 mixed in there every once in a while. Cause he's going to have, he's going to have a breakout game somewhere. Uh, you know, I feel pretty pretty sure about that because there's just too many games in the NFL. The question is, how much pain are you going to have to go through to get this franchise, you know, back to where it's at least, you know, being competitive week in and week out? Because, uh, you know, I, I, I do have to give you this one reminder. Not only do the Jaguars have an 18-game losing streak, they've lost their last seven by double digits. Right. So. You know, you, I'm sure, you know, some of them might be a game where, you know, somebody scores in the last two minutes to get it to double digits, but there hasn't been really been too many of those. So the, the Jaguars, get, I've got to get to the point where it's five minutes to go in the game and the game's a toss-up. Either somebody's got to make a drive to go win the game or somebody's got to make a, a stop to win the game. That's the point they've got to get to. They're not there yet.
0: Here's my last question for Jacksonville sports columnist Gene Fournette. In seven years at Ohio State, Urban Meyer never lost more than two games. He's got three after three weeks in the NFL. How is Urban coping?
4: Well, I mean, you know, if you're if you're asking me to interpret body language and you know post-game press conference comments, uh, his go-to his go-to line is basically after a loss or, you know, midweek press conferences, go-to line is the locker room is great. These guys are supporting each other. Uh, that's the one thing that gives me a lot of, you know, hope is how, is how much this team is together. You know, you know, I mean, there are only so many positive places you can go to, right, when you're getting beat by double double digits, right? So, uh, you know, you, you don't want to necessarily single out anybody, right, because if you lose a game, by 11 points, 20 points, or whatever, you know that that's not really a, a, a time to be singling anybody out. And everybody knows that Trevor has been struggling. But I'm also I also should point this out: he's made about five or six throws in these first three weeks that uh, a lot of NFL, NFL quarterbacks just can't make. Right. Uh, he's had two touchdown passes to DJ Chark that were just exquisite. Uh, you know, if you look at last week's. Uh, Game film, the 12-yard touchdown pass to D.J. Chark way, throwing the ball way across the field was his third read on the play. And you look at that and you go, oh, that's why the Jaguars, that's why he's the number one pick. That's why everybody's calling him a generational quarterback. So he has those moments in him. But he also has the flip side, you know, the, the mistakes. I mean, seven of his interceptions by Trevor's own admission, you know, four of them were just really bad decisions. But, no, you know, every, that's, that's life in the NFL. Peyton Manning, twenty NFL record, twenty-eight interceptions for a rookie when he was a uh, when he was with the Indianapolis Colts. Troy Aikman going one in fifteen his first year. Uh, you know these are Hall of Fame guys, so uh, long way to go before this is just the start of Trevor Lawrence's journey. I think he's going to be really good. Uh, it's just a question of how, when is he actually going to get to that point?
2: Final question. Really appreciate you carving the time you have for us. Special teams have been pretty special. I mean, there's there's no two ways about it. Cook is number one in the NFL net punting, uh, third I think in average. I mean, he's he's been dynamic. And Then Agnew, 109 field goal return that was missed, uh, ties an NFL record never to be broken. You you can't go 110; you'd be out of bounds. And uh, one of three guys to do it. And he took a kickoff back 102 yards. So how good have overall special teams been? has he kept them in games in their three phases, offense, defense, special teams. How have they done?
4: Well, obviously the two, the, the two kick returns are, 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 you know, really uh, huge. Uh, the first one, unfortunately, came with five minutes to go in the game and, and a game that was, you know, pretty well already in hand. So that didn't really help them all, the, all that much. But the kick return off the missed field goal last week on the last play of the first half, when there was no time left on the clock, that was huge. gave the Jaguars a 13-7 halftime lead. Now here's the other here's the flip side of that special teams, and you're right, Logan Cook uh, I, I think is, is, is got a chance to be a pro bowler this year uh, with his I mean he's just got an incredible leg and, and a nice touch for putting balls inside the 10yard line. But here's the flip side of it. Josh Lambeau, the most accurate kicker in the NFL from 2017 to 2020. 0-3 uh, for 3 in his first three games, missed back-to-back extra points last week, and is out for tomorrow night's game for what the Jaguars have termed personal reasons. So Matthew Wright, a, a kicker I've never heard of, is going to be kicking for the Jaguars tomorrow night. And, and this, you know, it'll be interesting to see if this goes along the line from last year when Josh Lambeau had a hip issue and was uh, out of the lineup for about four straight games, came back and then without the rest of the season uh, they they tried four different kickers to replace Lambo and uh, and they just couldn't they you know they just couldn't really settle on one that they really liked so but uh, very huge concern about Josh Lambeau uh, between the missing kicks that he doesn't normally miss and now he's and now he's missing uh, this game for personal reasons I mean that you know makes you it makes you wonder if his confidence is shot. Uh, you know that's pure speculation on my part, but uh, that, that is a flip side of the other two special teams contributors in Logan Cook and Jamal Agnew. Uh, so it, it's, it it runs hot or cold uh, for the Jaguars. And Agnew has not had been really been given an opportunity to return a punt yet. I think he had one return for like one yard, and that was it. So, uh, but uh, you know we'll see. But uh, certainly, when you get uh, listen. I don't know how many NFL teams in history have had back-to-back weeks of a kick-return touchdown and lost both games Mm -hmm. by double digits.
0: Our thanks to Gene Fournette, and here's a quick reminder to join Lap and me for the Bengals Pep Rally Show this Friday from 3 to 6 on ESPN 1530. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.